0: From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. In a jam-packed week of Gator sports, the biggest story unfortunately took place in a training room where it was discovered that junior John Igbunu had torn his ACL and was lost for the season. Coming up later, we'll take a deep dive into the men's basketball program and get some perspective on Igbunu's absence while getting to know assistant coach Darius Nichols. But first, we sat down for our weekly roundtable with Scott Carter and Chris Harry of FloridaGators.com to address the plethora of events taking place around Gator Nation. In a conversation covering some big breaking news on football, along with notes on other Gator sports that made a splash last week, we began by getting Chris's take on basketball's vengeance against South Carolina.
0: My first thought on that is it goes back to the first time they played, obviously, when you go to Columbia, South Carolina, and you go 0-for-17 from the three-point line. A real uh, blip on the radar when you think about it, 850 straight games, 25 years of at least one three-pointer, and... From the get-go, Kayvon Allen takes the ball in the first possession, goes down, jacks a three, bam! It mm-hmm. hits it. Gators go on and make nine for the game. They went five of six from the three-point line down the last 13 minutes. Wow. Uh, South Carolina went 0 for five. This is a South Carolina was the number two ranked defense in the country statistically in terms of defensive efficiency, points for possession. And Florida ran their stuff. They played unselfishly. I keep going back to this when I talk about. The unselfish nature of this team, you know, they've won nine games in a row now, played phenomenal defense in all those games, but they've had a different leading score in seven of them. Last night, believe it or not, was the first time Kayvon Allen had led the team in scoring during that winning streak. He was just absolutely tremendous. It may have been his best game. I know it wasn't his highest-scoring game of his career. I think it was the best game of his career, and I don't even think it's close, actually, because uh, he was able to go the glass, career-high seven rebounds. He had uh, had three assists in the game, some terrific passes he guarded. He attacked the basket, 14 free-throw attempts. One of the things that the coaches had talked to him about in the last couple days, to be quite honest, is – you need to be more aggressive. You're too good of a player. You're too strong at your size to shy away from physicality. And uh, he really took that challenge to heart from the opening tip. But, um, again, this is a great defensive basketball team in South Carolina. And Florida goes and shoots 49%. They shot 54 in the second half. They were 6-9 and nine from three-point range, 9-19 nine for the game. And, again, shot 27 free throws, made 22 of them. I mean, really, really impressive numbers against a really good defensive team. Um I think you know we got to step back now and look at this Florida basketball team and kind of how they've figured out their identity under Mike White in the second season. You don't know who it's going to be in any night. He's told them we're not winning the game unless we play defense. He holds them accountable on defense. If they make a mistake, doesn't matter at what point of the game they're coming out of the game. They know that now. They don't always agree with it. But they also know that they're not going to stay on the bench unless Mm -hmm. they keep making mistakes. They know they're getting back in the game. But uh, this team knows Mike White now. Mike White knows these players They're 23-5, and Adam. They're tied for first place in the SEC. They're going to Kentucky, obviously, for a big game this weekend. But uh, this has been a really, really spectacular season to date. It's the fourth most regular season wins. Ties for the fourth most regular season wins in program history in Mike White's second season. Good for him.
2: No, and that was impressive, I thought, what they did with South Carolina because, you know, we've talked on different shows that this team has faced different hurdles. Obviously, losing Egbuna was probably the biggest hurdle yet. And you look at South Carolina, they're kind of fading down the stretch. Mm-hmm. And Florida is surging without Johnny Buno. So that just – that goes to good coaching. That goes to really a team bond that they built. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, on Saturday, they're going to be challenged in a different way. You know, going up to Kentucky, obviously not going to be me Gator fans up there, Adam, uh, <laughs> uh, from what I hear. No, But anyway, <laughs> no, all- it, you know, it is just another hurdle. And if they win that game, then I'll learn something more about these guys. But so far – Great job of Mike White. Great job by the team just to kind of rally around missing
0: a big piece of their puzzle. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see these guys in the tournament. Yeah, and just go back to just follow up on what he said. They started this, you know, we don't care who's doing what uh, Mm -hmm. back after that Vanderbilt loss, which was a bad loss here at home. And I think once they were in that mindset, they were able to absorb this Johnny Booney thing a little more easily because uh, if you look back, he got hurt at Auburn. They were behind, I think, by six at the time, ended up winning by 19, scored the most points ever against an SC opponent, 114. So they were in a a good uh, philosophical and mental place to Mm -hmm. absorb that hit. Now, nobody's saying that that it wasn't a a devastating blow. It was. I mean, this is Johnny Boone, who is a really, really good player, really good defensive post player. Maybe one of the ten best post players in the country when it comes to defense, but the fact that I mean he 's getting what he can out of skyler Rimmer now he 's playing Keystone, an undersized guy at uh, uh, some possessions at the five that 's going to happen a lot more often. I think as we go down the stretch, Justin Leon had to play a little bit in there again, a very much undersized guy having mm-hmm. to do that, but guys embracing their roles and then having to take on other roles. Mike White told him when you lose a guy like this, not one guy's going to replace him. you need. You need more rebounds out of this guy. We need some better passing. You need some better, better defense out of this guy, this guy, and hopefully you get that mesh into one guy being the missing Johnny Boonoo. But you look down the line last night, whether it was Stone coming in. As Crease Stone had two assists off the bench. He hadn't been playing well at all because he's still dealing with the after effects of that viral illness, but he had two assists off the bench. And both of these assists were on big three-pointers. Uh, again, Kayvon Allen, uh, his rebounding, something they haven't had. Uh, uh, Justin Leon took two shots the second half. Both were threes. Devin Robinson now is playing the best defense he has ever played, and it's not even mm-hmm. close on that regard too. So just an all-around really good effort against a team against South Carolina that came down here having lost three of four, last two, have their backs to the wall a little bit relative to their place in the SEC, and Florida took it out on them in the second half. If the discussion is expectations,
1: there's a lot of fans that the Igbo news was as you sort of described it a gut punch.
0: The Florida Independent Alligator wrote the season was over right. when the guy was injured. So, so I mean, they've won three games since he's been injured. So, is that you're going to ask me what so the, the expectation is? What, what, is? Yeah. yeah,
1: how do the expectations for this team? Change with that piece missing, or do they not change in your
0: mind? Well, I think they they're altered for sure, but at the same time, can't do anything about it. You still got games to play, sure. And uh, Kentucky's not going to feel sorry for Florida after Florida smashed them by twenty-two. They're going to be outmatched in the post, no question about it. And there's something about playing in Rupp Arena that just you know gets deer in the headlights for for some young guys but this is an this is an older team and I think the fact that it is an older team and they have all these upperclassmen on the team they're able to absorb this or at least keep it in perspective a little more I Mm -hmm. mean Canyon Barry is the leading scorer on the team I mean he rolled his ankle at Mississippi State he came in last night he didn't score to okay. so score
1: 81 points against the second best defensive team in yeah. the country without your leading scorer right, putting in. Right. So that yeah. goes
0: back to everything we just talked about in the in the initial part of this broadcast. So, and Barry wasn't himself last night. You could tell he was kind of favoring that ankle a little bit and he probably wasn't happy with his 9 minutes, but I mean, that was his role that night and these mm-hmm. roles are constantly changing and hopefully and Barry will be a little bit better off uh, when they go to Kentucky this week, but it just goes back to what I'm saying, it doesn't matter. I mean, you still got you still got to play the games. Guys have to do their jobs. And I look at Justin Leon. I mean, he had one rebound last night, but he's boxing guys out. He's doing his job. Someone, All right. Kayvon Allen got rebounds that maybe Justin Leon could have got if he wasn't doing his job. Uh, same with Devin Robinson or what have you down the line. Kavaris Hayes, I mean, that guy at Mississippi State last week, what was it, nine points, career-high ten rebounds, four blocks made the go-ahead basket. Made the game-winning block shot. Last night, just a very, I mean, 7 points, 6 rebounds, 3 steals, uh, 24 minutes. Just He's figuring out some ways. Now, he's going to get overpowered in the post in some of these games down the Mm -hmm. line. Arkansas is going to bring Moses Kingsley in next week. Bam out of Bayou at Kentucky this weekend. Um, He's going to have his hands full, but again, Finding his role, he recognizes it and doesn't expect to do anything more. And some of these other guys are really, really starting to embrace that. And it's, that's when basketball, these guys have said it, and Chris Joseph said it, that when you start figuring stuff out like that, that's when basketball is really fun. And I don't know you guys watched the game last night. Some of those extra passes these mm-hmm. guys made, uh, working around against a South Carolina defense is really hard to get an open shot on. That's why they beat them in the nine-game winning streak. Eight teams have scored at least 11 points fewer than their average, and Florida has won the games over their nine game winning streak by an average of, I believe the number now is 19 points. Wow. Game to Kentucky, they're a team that has struggled to even beat the bottom feeders
1: in this league, whereas Florida has beaten the bottom feeders by a ton and then beat Kentucky by 22 points. So what are the expectations for this particular matchup, and what do you expect to see from Kentucky up and up?
0: They're going to recall what happened here a couple of weeks ago, a 22-point loss. It was their worst loss in 25 years as a top-10 team. Um, there's just something about going into Rupp Arena that has a way of throwing some intimidation elements on, on a visitor. And I'm doing this off the top of my head because they haven't played a Rupp Arena in over a year, but I think, Adam, in the history of Florida basketball, they've won nine times there. So uh, the expectations are you lose at Rupp Arena if you're the Florida basketball team. Now, I was in there. I've been there twice when Florida has won. And Jason Williams, I was there when he went up there. And he and Kenyon Weeks almost single-handedly beat them, beat a Kentucky team that went on to win the national championship. But they almost played perfect that night. And, of course, the team uh, in 2014 went up there and won the game, I think, by 10 points. That was part of those three wins over Kentucky that season. But the Gators are capable. Um, You got to hit shots. You can't turn the ball over and certainly can't have live ball turnovers. Uh, The Whistles are going to probably favor Kentucky because they're at home. That's what usually works in the SEC. And uh, Kavari Hayes has to stay out of foul trouble Mm because you got to have that guy in there probably for 25 minutes during that game. But make shots, ball security, KCO has to play pretty well like he did against Kentucky a couple weeks ago. You know, it's, it's going to be a really, really hard task, but the SEC is on the line. And the one thing that I think Florida has going for it is, again, I go back to the upperclassmen. Remember, Kentucky came down here with a bunch of freshmen starting. Uh, for a guy like Malik Monk, it was his sixth road game of his career. The hardest place he played before that was Louisville, and they got beat by Louisville pretty well. Uh, Florida's going into the arena. They got, got a bunch of guys on this team who have, played road games before who have played in tough environments who a couple guys who have played at Rupp Arena they know what it's like it was they just got smothered there last year I think the score was 23 to 4 or 23 to 5 six minutes into the game um it's a completely different Kentucky team Jamal Murray all those guys are gone that's the way Kentucky teams are right so it's a totally different uh combination just it's about poise they're going to be Rupp runs is what I call them, uh, the, and when you go on a RUP run, it's not just the players going on the RUP run, the fans are on it with them, mm-hmm. and it's very, very hard to endure, you got to keep your poise, I remember when Scotty uh senior year, he brought Casey Hill over to him on the bench for the game, he goes, they're going to score six, eight points in a row, you have to maintain your composure, until it's going to happen, just be ready when it happens, it's how you respond to them, whether or not we get out of here, okay, and Casey Hill responded that night. Scotty Wobekin responded. I imagine Casey Hill may tell some of his teammates the same thing this weekend. Let's turn our attention to football now. The news never stops, as we are reminded every
2: week. So, Scott, give us the latest from uh, Jim McElwain and company. Believe it or not, Adam, spring uh, camp starts, what, February 28th, next Tuesday. Wow. It just seems like the Outback Bowl ended, but yet here it is. And, uh, you know, McElwain's going to have a press conference on Thursday, late Thursday morning to just kind of preview spring practice. Uh, we all know what the number one question is going to be. What's he going to look at, you know, at quarterback uh, mm-hmm. throughout the spring? Because you have Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks back, obviously, both redshirt freshmen, watched uh, from the sideline as true freshmen. With Luke Del Rio out, it's going to be those two guys. And, you know, the wild card in the mix is Kadarius uh, Tony, the freshman who I think we talked about on last week's show. Kind of a, a spread quarterback, a wildcat, so he could give him a different look. One thing I know about him just by – what I've read and talking to people, he's a extremely gifted athlete uh with the ball in his hands, and he can never have enough of those guys uh so but yeah, it's all gonna be about the quarterback uh and the few new guys in, on the roster. I think they have uh five early enrollees with tony being one of those uh that's gonna set the stage really i think for everything you know going through the summer and fall because again, kind of like last year, I don't really expect any clear cut answers who's going to be the starting quarterback at the end of right. spring camp. People are going to want them, but they're probably not going to be there. They're not going to be there, Adam. Uh, it's just the way – I mean, these two guys, he wants to see them battle in extended circumstances. I mean, they've got some a little bit more pressure on them this year because mm-hmm. you know they're going to be running the one, probably splitting some reps, and everything's going to be about development and, what, and how much these guys progress in the next few weeks. Uh, and then, of course, over the summer, you get Jake Allen coming in as a true freshman and Luke Del Rio – uh, who's recovering from the shoulder surgery, should be ready by fall camp. And then it starts all over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luke Del Rio is obviously going to have a clear advantage in terms of experience. But if either Trask or Franks shines in the spring and gets a head start, I mean, you got to con- seriously consider them as a contender for the starting job come fall. We also got some
1: news about the facilities that people have been asking a lot of questions about and starting to get some answers
2: about this big project. Yeah, you know, I mean, the standalone football facility here, it was announced in September. You know, when there's a master facility plan that UF announced. Mm-hmm. It's something that obviously is at the forefront of everything that new athletic director Scott Strickland is doing right now. I mean, he's been on a tour speaking to boosters, uh, trying to raise awareness for the projects. But the football facility, the news is, Adam, that, you know, HOK, which is a global design firm based out of Kansas City, has been involved in, a lot of different major sports venue projects over the years they are going to design this uh football facility and uh you know that's that's pretty big news because it's literally starting to take shape mm-hmm. and uh the next big step after that is then they're going to announce a construction firm who's actually going to put it together uh, probably in the next few weeks but you know i thought the news about hok on uh wednesday uh, uh you know this is a if you're familiar with some of the new uh Sports venues such as the Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami, they designed that. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta, they're the ones who designed that. Clemson Football Facility has gotten a lot of play. They designed that. So, I mean, these folks know what they're doing. They know how to make it splash. Obviously, it's going to be a very Gator-themed, unique building. I was fortunate enough to sit in on a couple of these presentations. Uh, Firms from around the country came in and, uh, and made their presentations to UF. It was really interesting just to seeing some of the concepts and some of the ideas that they had. And, uh, you know, HOK obviously uh, was impressed the folks making the decision, and, and they got the bid. And uh, you're going to see uh, probably some conceptual designs at first, and probably within about six weeks or so, you're going to start seeing some real hardcore designs on what this place is going to eventually look like. And for more on this, we are supposed to talk to Scott Strickland for next
1: week's podcast. Make sure to tune to that to hear straight from the new athletic director, on this plan and how it is going to take shape one of the other things he's gotten to enjoy since he got here is teams that win at a high level already we saw that this past weekend gators swimming and diving another sec
2: championship speaking of strickland he's enjoying it a lot because i saw him tweeting from each venue this weekend He was bouncing all he over the was, place, i saw him i saw him everywhere yeah, i was he, he was there for least a he second. was bouncing around and what he saw was a lot of good performances and Uh, You mentioned swimming uh, up in Knoxville last week at the SEC Championships. The Gators men win their fifth consecutive crown, uh, the most uh, of any program in the SEC in any sport except Kentucky basketball. I think they're both 38 or somewhere right around there. So, I mean, we we were talking Kentucky basketball earlier, Mm -hmm. that rich tradition. The Gators men's swimming program has a very similar tradition. And, you know, Caleb, he's the headliner. He didn't disappoint. Uh, won uh, several titles, individual and relay, and just setting himself up for really another chance at the NCAA Finals next month in Indianapolis to uh, kind of add to his uh, record-setting career at Florida and internationally, obviously, as an Olympian. So, yeah, I mean, but you're going back to campus after leaving Knoxville. Last week you had, what, baseball team started off with 3-0, and uh, and then I was actually out of golf the other day, and the Men's Invitational, SunTrust Invitational, it's their only home term mm-hmm. of the year. And I, w- I actually went to the wrong spot because that was the only one that the Gators weren't winning big. <laughs> they ended up finishing fourth. <laughs> Maybe it was you. Did it you co- think it about that? It could have been me, but, you know, they had a good performance. J.C. Deacon, he was telling me afterward, he is not worried one bit about this team. I mean, they are loaded. It will not be a surprise at all if they all play well, and and they're going to be in the hunt at the NCAA championships. It's just they're going to have to have a little better performance than they did. But – Adam, right up the street from uh, where I was, it was the u uh, f women 's tennis, one of the hardest weekends ever chris mm-hmm. they 've got this hundred How about that schedule
0: <laughs> I mean my God, with a <laughs> twenty four hour everybody
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean they entered the weekend with a hundred and sixty one match home winning streak, which is the longest winning streak in the college two thousand and four since two thousand and four of any sport you know active streak and In all of college athletics. Yeah, and they had Oklahoma State and Stanford coming to town last weekend. Back-to-back days. Those are the two
0: teams that played for the
2: national championship last year. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, 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 they they played for the national title last year. Back-to-back days, uh, the Gators went out there and beat them both. Kept that streak alive, and now it's up to 163 consecutive home matches. Like Chris mentioned, haven't lost at home since 2004. It's actually a little mind-boggling if you actually think about it. But, yeah, I mean, that was kind of the highlight for what happened here on campus, uh, just keeping that streak alive. But, you there's a lot. I mean, uh, there's so much going on in the spring that a lot of times it's hard to keep track of, and now we got football, spring football in the mix.
1: Gentlemen, we covered a lot of ground, as always, this week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. Many of the best coaches in basketball played at a high level themselves, and that's certainly true of second-year assistant Darius Nichols. Before he went into coaching and rose quickly as part of Mike White's Louisiana Tech staff, Nichols was a star point guard at West Virginia under John Beeline and Bob Huggins. We eventually delved into what he learned from those mentors and how he got into coaching in the first place, but we began our conversation by assessing the significance of Tuesday's critical win over the Gamecocks.
3: It meant a lot just because when we played them at their place, I thought we did a really good job defending them. Um, the biggest issue is we didn't make shots, and we we told our guys coming in we, you know, we were 0 for 17 from three point line, and it's not many games that you're going to win shooting 0 for 17. But I thought we were relaxed, and you know, guys just stepped up and made shots, and you know, it's something we didn't talk about a lot, but it's something that you know we made sure the guys got extra shots in the gym, extra free throws because we knew we were going to get fouled a lot. So. It meant a lot just to see guys step up and and make tough shots when it mattered.
1: When you're playing a team the second time around like that, what tweaks do you make? And you were in charge of the scouting report for both games. So what was that like from your perspective, trying to figure out what you needed to do differently to change the result?
3: Um, The main thing were just matchups, you know, getting guys on on different guys that, you know, we thought could bother them early, like putting Casey Hill on Thornwell because, one – Casey Hill asked to guard Thornwell, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the best players in the SEC right now. So, you know, a guy that, that asked for that challenge, usually give it to him and put it on him and Casey Hill did an unbelievable job on him. And then, Late in the game, they try to isolate Thornwell into the post, which is something that we thought they would do. So then we switched Devin Robinson, who's six nine, and have him guard Thornwell to give him a different look. So we just, we just threw different guys at him um, and gave him different looks where Casey Hill bothered him with his speed. And then late in the game, we needed Devin to bother him with his length.
1: When you're playing a chess match like that, especially second time around, how critical does that mental preparation become and the
3: information that you've got to give them? Um, it's big because this time of year, you know everything that the opponent is doing. They know everything that you're going to do. So it then it comes down to, okay, what are you going to do when the play breaks down and, and we have to defend one-on-one? So it comes down to the, those one-on-one tendencies, and that's that's something we stress when we watch personnel and each each individual scout is, you know, what what are they going to do when the play breaks down and they have to make a play?
1: After two times playing South Carolina, did anything surprise you from that game on Tuesday night?
3: The biggest thing was just, um, you know, at their place, I think teams that pressure like South Carolina does, they feed off of the energy of the crowd. And and I didn't think their pressure would be as good as it was the first time we played them. One, because, you know, they're not playing at home and they're not getting the energy off the crowd. And and two, later in the season, teams that pressure like that, their pressure kind of wears on them. And I I didn't think they were as aggressive defensively as they were the first time we played them.
1: So when you're in a, a really successful stretch like you are right now, what connective tissue are you seeing? What is working so well for this group at this moment?
3: Uh, the main thing is I, I think we're doing a great job of sharing the ball. Um, you know, yesterday guys did a really good job because we knew, you know, once you put the ball on the floor, they were going to swarm at you. So I, I thought we did a really good job of making an extra pass. And guys playing unselfish, you know, this time of year is huge and, just keeping guys loose and fresh. You know, some guys are, man, the grind of the season's wearing on me. So we just try to make sure our guys are still having fun with it and it's fresh because this time of year, some teams just want to shut it down.
1: One big change that's happened during this successful stretch is the loss of Johnny Bunu. It's been about a week since that happened as we sit here right now. So can you tell us what that time has been like for the team and how the players and the coaching staff have come to, to terms with it?
3: Um, I would say the first first day after uh, we got the news about John's ACL was, you know, walking around here, was kind of like a morgue. And then, mm-hmm. you know, the next day it was a little better. And, and guys just started to embrace and, OK, like, you know, this is an opportunity for me to step up. And not one particular person said, OK, I got to do this for John. Like it wasn't on Kavarius Hayes where, you know, the media is going to say, oh, Kavarius Hayes needs mm-hmm. to step up, which, you know, Kavarius Hayes has been in this situation before last year and earlier in the year. So, you know, our concern wasn't about, you know, him stepping up and filling for John. But, you know, you look at last night where Kayvon led us in rebounding from a guard position. So everybody's always thinking, OK, only the big guys can rebound. But the sure. game has changed to where, you know, guards are some of their better rebounders than, than a lot of the big. So, you know, I think everybody is just chipped in and, and put it on their shoulders. So I'm going to do a little bit more with the absence of John.
1: When he goes down, the next thing you do is you play Mississippi State. And you know, obviously, not your best performance against Mississippi State, and then seemingly a lot better against South Carolina in terms of growing without him. So, yeah, what changes did you see in the team from Game One without John to Game Two?
3: Yesterday, in the first half, we had a lot of turnovers, and then we had twelve turnovers first half. Um, second half, we only had four. So, you know, at Mississippi State, we turned the ball over too much. Last night, the first half, we turned the ball over too much. Um, so that's that's the main thing we got to clean up. I think now that you know, we're playing a lot more guard oriented. You know, I think we're, we're playing faster with the ball in our hand. We, we really need to just just slow down to make better decisions.
1: When you lose someone like John, and you've been a part of a lot of teams as a player and a coach, how much is on that particular player to make sure he stays involved and keep his presence with right. the team, even if he can't be out on the floor?
3: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's what we challenged John to do is, you know, sometimes when you get hurt, you tend to isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. And and we told him, we said, John, the thing is, you need this team to help you through this injury and the team needs you. So, you know, we just challenged him, you know, make sure you're involved. And just because you, you tore your ACL doesn't mean you can't speak up. So, you know, you just want him to feel as a part of a team as he was when he was playing because that would help him and that would also help the team.
1: If we can turn the focus here to you and, and your background, can you tell us about where you grew up and about
3: your family? Um, originally from Radford, Virginia, a little small town. I have an older brother. My dad was my high school coach. Um, my brother coaches at Murray State, and hmm. you know, my mom was you know, all star in track in high school. So, I come from an athletic family, and you know, a family that that has been involved in basketball since I could since I could walk. I like asking people
1: what their particular access point is. To a sport so for you what was it about basketball besides the family connection what was it that made you fall in love
3: with the game I would just just say seeing my dad do it and how successful he was at it and not only how good he was at it but just his passion for it and then you know my dad growing up he worked two jobs and he said you know if I feel like you're working hard in basketball I would never make you get a summer job or anything like that so <laughs> You know, one day I was sitting on I was sitting on the couch and my dad came home and he said you probably need to get up and do some work or something. <laughs> so then the next day he came home and I was doing the same thing and he said, okay, you're going to work with me. So I, I poured concrete for a <laughs> week in hundred degree weather. He said wow. you could either you could either focus on basketball and be really good at it or you can do what I do for a living. And then so I focused on basketball. That seemed like the better of the yeah. two choices. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So
1: you focus on basketball, and obviously you get pretty good because you end up at West Virginia. Can you talk about what led
3: you there to go play for Coach Beeline? Um, he recruited me at a at an early age, my ninth grade year. You know, he was he was at Richmond at the time. So, you know, Richmond was is three and a half hours from my hometown. So, you know, he heard about me, came over, watched some of my games. And he just stayed in contact with me since my freshman year, wrote handwritten notes to me three times a week, and I had a really good relationship with him. And then he moves on to West Virginia. And then, you know, all these schools start getting involved. But I had a relationship with them since mm-hmm. I was a freshman. So I felt comfortable with them. And I committed early as a junior. And everybody was – at the time, you know, West Virginia wasn't a basketball school. And right. everybody was like, why would you go there? You should go ACC or whatever. And I just said, man, I want to I make my own legacy. I don't want to, you know, follow, say, you're the, this, the next guy here. Or mm-hmm. I, I I wanted to build my own, my own legacy. Having
1: gone through that process as a player – recruiting and everything that goes with it what did you take away from that and how much has that part of the game changed now that you're on the other side
3: from the recruiting part it's totally different because (laughs) when I was getting recruited which you know looking back on it wasn't too long ago but a lot Mm -hmm. has changed since then the biggest difference is the amount of access you have to recruits sure you know unlimited text messaging unlimited phone calls when I was getting recruited you had one phone call a week Now you get to know these kids are better. And a lot of the times these kids now don't want to talk on the phone. They'll text you Mm -hmm. all day. You call them, they text you back. Yeah. I just called you. Right, right. (laughs) And and you can't take that personal. That's just the generation gap and how they communicate now. So if you're not communicating how they communicate, it's hard to build a a relationship with them. Where back in the day, that's the only thing you could do is make phone calls. Mm -hmm. So just speaking how they speak and connect and how they connect is really big with the generational change.
1: I know you probably feel disconnected from this sometimes, but you're still relatively young. So I'm curious how that affects these relationships and your ability to communicate with players. The fact that you can speak to them coming from a place of you're roughly in their generation as opposed to some of these coaches who are 60, 70. They're just a different level.
3: Right. And I think, you know, one of my mentors, Mike Jarvis, he always told me, said, never underestimate your ability to demonstrate. You know, especially as a as a young coach, because a lot of guys can't get out there and demonstrate, or Mm -hmm. and and that kind of stuck with me. So I always try to, you know, these kids nowadays are more visual than anything, especially with you know all the changes. So that stuck with me. So I always try to make it visual to these kids, or paint a picture. Okay, this is what you're going through, but you know, I went through the same thing when I was playing, and Mm -hmm. that's how I how I got over it. So I always try to put myself in their shoes. You know, just because I've I've been through what they've been through before.
1: And you went through a lot during your career, pretty much everything you possibly can, including going through a coaching change when Coach Mm -hmm. Beeline went to Michigan. So I'm curious what you learned from that coaching transition and how you applied some of those lessons to your own coaching career.
3: Yeah, a lot of people make it harder than what it was, but I was, you know, when Bob Huggins came in, I was going into my senior year. And the first thing I understood was if I don't buy in, these other guys aren't going to buy in. Mm -hmm. You know, because I was the senior leaders, me and another guy that were, the two seniors, so you know, from day one, I, I just told the guys I said, "Look, we have to buy into what he's doing." I know it's going to be different than what we're used to, but the guy is a Hall Fame coach <laughs> too, so it was kind <laughs> of easy. What he's talking about. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. easy to buy in, but uh, it was a culture shock. It was completely different than what we were used to playing for John Beline. So, you know, that's the main thing, especially like with the guys that we had last year here at Florida. You know, going through a culture change, mm-hmm. I could r- relate that to him because I had been through one before and. I knew if, you know, certain guys didn't buy in, we weren't going to be successful. So, you know, just going through that, I think that helped me with us coming to Florida and mm-hmm. that, that coaching change.
1: You played at a really high level, West Virginia, and then went on and played overseas professionally. When did coaching come into the mix? Was that always in the back of your mind, or mm-hmm. was that sort of a plan B? When playing wasn't taking you where you wanted to go,
3: I was like every kid on our team and every kid in the country today. I thought I was going to be playing in the NBA, but I was over there and I got hurt. I blew out my knee. I had mm-hmm. microfracture on my knee. I came back to the United States, was rehabbing in West Virginia, and then I blew my other knee out. Wow! So I was actually—it was crazy. I was actually uh, parking cars at a local hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, I stayed in touch with hugs. I was—I was rehabbing up there at the university. And then he said, look, I have a grad assistant job coming open next year. Like, if you're done playing, you need to let me know because I'll, I'll save the job for you. And so, you know, I, I thought I could still make a run, get back, get sure. in the NBA and, and you know, make a career plan. And then I was going over there just kind of seeing what all the coaching stuff was about. Because as a player, you don't know what coaches really do. Right. Um, right. So I, I just hung out around that for three months. And I said, man, I can see myself doing this for a living. You know, helping kids reach their dreams because you know I can't reach my dream anymore. Like my body's not it's not built for it anymore. So mm-hmm. once I did that, I, that's how I got into coaching. You know, I never had a dream of being a coach, but you know, guy kind of had a bigger plan. I got hurt, and then you know, I found I found what He wanted me to do.
1: When you're going through that stretch where you're you're rehabbing, you said you're parking cars at a hotel. Did that almost take you back? To when you were pouring concrete with your dad right. and saying, wait, this is not where I want to be in it and I've got to do something
3: to change it. Right. It's crazy because life always humbled me. You know, I, always tell, I tell guys every time I, I call a kid and, you know, I'm recruiting them. I know you hear it all the time, like get your degree, mm-hmm. you may get hurt, all that stuff. But, you know, that's what happened. That's what happened for me. So, you know, you go from, you know, being the, the starting point guard on a really good team one year to next year you know, you're living on your college teammate, who's your best friend, and he's a walk-on couch, you know, so <laughs> it humbled me to where sure. the year before, you know, you, you're you're the man, and then the next year, you know, you don't have a place to stay in your parking cars, so, it, you know, it humbled me, and it prepared me for life.
1: So, when you talk about helping guys achieve their dreams now, and, and the role that you're in, what's the balance between doing that, but also being realistic with them, because as
3: yeah, being someone
1: yourself who went through right. that—the highs of thinking you're going to be in the in, in the NBA and then ultimately it's it's not your path—when every kid that right. comes through thinks that's their path, how do you help them toward it, but also make sure that
3: that they have reasonable expectations? Yeah, you just you just make sure that doesn't consume them. Um, you know, because we live in a day and age where everybody wants everything so fast, mm-hmm. and you know, you always as a as a freshman, you're like, man you know, I'm, I'm trying to get out of here. I'm trying to go to the NBA, you know, or as a sophomore, you think, man, next year, my junior year, I'm going to be really good. Well, why not be really good now and then see what happens <laughs> right. as opposed to, you know, being so concerned with the future. And that's what I always try to tell guys right now. Like I tell them every day, I said, if I could trade places with you right now, i trade places with you. And mm-hmm. they don't understand that because, you know, once you get out, it's, it's really a business, you know, I'm overseas playing and, you know, our team won the Hungarian league and and I'm averaging 11 and 5, and then, you know, we're winning every game. And my agent's like, hey, I need you to get your numbers up to, you know, at least 16 and 8. <laughs> I'm like, but we're winning. <laughs> right. So, Isn't that the point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, that's something that they don't understand until they get involved in on the professional level. So I just share my story with guys, and hopefully it sinks in. If not, it usually sinks in two years after graduation or something, mm-hmm. and they appreciate it then.
1: So you grew up in Virginia, you play at West Virginia, and then you're playing professionally in Hungary. Mm-hmm. So how much of a culture shock was it for you going overseas to play, and how did that help you grow?
3: Man, I was, I was in a small town, and the town was about as small as, you know, where I'm from in Radford. So mm-hmm. you take Radford, but nobody speaks English. So. <laughs> I was, it I sounds the, easy. Yeah. The first week I was over there, I called my agent. And I said, you got to get me out of here. <laughs> I'm eating goulash and I don't even know what goulash <laughs> is. I said, you got to get me out. I even so. not know how to say goulash. So I mean, <laughs> so he, so he said, he said, give it, give it two weeks and then call me back. Mm-hmm. So I gave it two weeks and I actually really liked it. And it helped me grow as a person. You know, I'm over there and the stuff you take for granted when you live in America. So I'm over there and I, you know, I'm taking a shower and I, I have uh what is it? Your washing machine's connected to your shower, but you don't, I didn't know that. So i am taking a shower and I'm doing laundry at the same time. Right. So I look down and the water is like really dirty and I'm like, where's this water coming from? <laughs> so the washing machine water empties out into the tub and then I'm looking <laughs> for a dryer. And I said, maybe it's like a two in one washer dryer right. kind of thing. Maybe they're before us in time. And it's like, no, you don't have a dryer. You got to hang everything up. <laughs> so. You know that that humbled me as well. Sure, you know playing over there and just you know seeing how different people lived, it opened my mind and it made me appreciate you know some of the things we have here.
1: So you come back, you get into the into the, the coaching mindset. What did you draw on for that? Who were the biggest influences on you, and and what advice
3: guided you through that time? Um, yeah, My first job was at a uh, Division two school at Northern Kentucky. You know, they're an out at Division one, so that was my first job and. The guy I worked for, Dave Beasel, he's not there anymore, but he, he used to be a longtime uh, school teacher. So he is a big on teaching. And the first advice he gave me, which was huge at that time was, you know, you was a really good player, but don't expect them to know everything, you know, or don't expect them to be able to do everything you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that taught me a lot right there because, you know, you're at a high level here at the University of Florida and these guys are, are really good. And you think, that they know more than they do and they don't. So you have to you have to go back to teaching them everything or, you know, expecting they don't they don't know what you're talking about.
1: So when you go along your path, West Virginia, Northern Kentucky, Wofford, Louisiana Tech, what were maybe the biggest takeaways from each of those stops that leads you to a place like Florida?
3: You know, I, it's crazy. I've been I think it's like five places in eight years. So I have a lot of different T shirts right now. <laughs> yeah. A lot of traveling, a lot of yeah. miles. Yeah. <laughs> so it just taught me how to build relationships. I was in Northern Kentucky for two years, and then and then I go to Wofford, and I'm there for a year, and then I'm in Louisiana Tech for a year. It helped me with relationship building, you know, especially getting to know the guys better. and mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what really helped me prepare for being here and just going on in my career is, you know, just the ability to build relationships at a, at a fast pace and, and trusting people.
1: How did you first connect with Mike White and then end up on his staff at Louisiana Tech?
3: It was crazy. It was it was when I was in Northern Kentucky, we were D two. I was at uh the National Junior College uh uh tournament out in Kansas and mm-hmm. I'm eating with the, uh i meeting with a coach that, you know, me and him both knew and uh so I had I had dinner with him and you know, just I wrote every time I meet somebody new I try to write a handwritten letter to him. So I I write him a handwritten letter and then, you know, four years later, my name keeps popping up because of Huggins and uh, Andy Kennedy uh, connection, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Mike White worked for Andy Kennedy, Andy Kennedy worked for Bob Huggins. So we had a lot of mutual friends because of that. And then he had a job opening and my name just kept popping up. It kept popping up. Right. And then he called and said, I have a spot open. I was at Wofford. We had just came off an NCAA tournament run and I was, you know, I was fine there, but then. You know, he called and he recruited me. He was he was like it was like I was a player, he recruited me every Backing day he was that calling mindset. every day. And so I, I just said I said, Man, I would, yeah, I, I could see myself really learning a lot from him and, and working for him and it's you know, it's been it's been fun. That connection mm-hmm. was definitely was definitely meant to be.
1: What do you bring to the staff in your mind? Where do you think your biggest strength is that you bring to the to the team?
3: Um I think uh, the good thing about the staff, everybody's personality is different. Um, where, you know, coach may and coach Mincy are kind of, you know, they, they're super, super high energy dudes. And I'm more mm-hmm. even killed and kind of, <laughs> you know, laid back. They call me the old man, I guess. So <laughs> I don't know. I just, I think, you know, that kind of and influence. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what, at least that's what they've told me. I don't know. So I try to help the guys as people first, you know, basketball second, if I can help them as people, basketball is easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the main thing I try to do is just help them become better people.
1: What do you feel like's been the biggest challenge transitioning from Louisiana Tech to Florida making this jump for you personally what was the the biggest transition?
3: I would say for me it's just the amount of the amount of people that you have to you know constantly build relationships with you know just especially from from our players you know from within the university within the community mm-hmm. you know there's it's a lot more important here than it was at some of the other places, a lot more people invested in it. So even with our guys, they have a lot of, a lot of people around them that have helped them be successful. So not only are you talking to the players, you're talking to their circle and the people they trust. So it's it's just a lot more, it's a lot more people around the situation than it was, you know, when I'm in a a small division two school where, Mm -hmm. you know, you're Cincinnati on game day, or the University of Kentucky, and you got 500 people at your game.
1: Sure. Last year, you had the chance to coach against Bob Huggins mm-hmm. and your alma mater and one in a blowout. I'm curious, what was that experience like for you? Was it triumphant? Was it bittersweet? Was yeah. it a combination of, of all of those things?
3: It was a combination of both. Um, a lot of the guys that were in that program, or some of the donors and stuff, they were just texting my phone mad at me. <laughs> and I told them, I said, I didn't make any shots, so right, you can't be right. mad at me. Was, I, yeah, was, I was, didn't it was, schedule it. I didn't make the shots. Right. So it was it was fun. I think it would have been a lot different if, I, if the game was at West Virginia. It would have been, mm-hmm. you know – a, a little weirder, but, um, when the game started, it was just like any other game, but, you know, the leading up to it is what, you know, caused a lot of anxiety.
1: Sure. So when you've got some time away from basketball and a chance to maybe work off some of that anxiety, what are some of the things that you like to do with your time?
3: I like to travel. I like to, even though you have to do that already? Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it's a different type of travel. Different when type I tra- travel. When I travel with the team, I'm in the gym or a hotel. So right. you don't really see right. day. everybody's like, Oh That's man, you go you go everywhere, I said, but when I go, I'm in a gym or a hotel. Right. Um, I, I go to a Hilton Garden Inn. I don't go to a city. <laughs> right. So I like to travel, um, especially around the state of Florida because you can get so many places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I really love going down to uh, Tampa, that area, you know, seeing those different beaches on the Gulf. Um, so anytime, you know, in the off season when I'm, when I'm able to get out and travel, I'm usually, usually traveling, trying to see the world. What are some other favorite places you visited that stand out to you? My favorite place to visit is Jamaica. Hmm. Yeah, I love I love Jamaica. I, I just think, you know, their, their biggest motto is no worries. So, <laughs> I mean, you go down there and you just kind of hang out. People don't stress over the small stuff. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, it's not a materialistic place. You just, no problems, that's what they say, I guess.
1: So now that you've had time to settle here in Gainesville a little bit, what do you and your wife enjoy most
3: uh, about Gainesville? Um, The thing we enjoy most is just, you know, we're back in a place where it's like a college town and everything revolves around the university. I I really like that feel because that's the feel I had where I went to school where everything, game day mattered, everything mattered, whatever was going on in the university, the the city shut down. I really like that about it. I like – I like the local restaurants. I don't, you know, I'm not a big chain restaurant guy. I like to, you know, kind of go off the beaten path and find a dominant mm-hmm. rough restaurant. You know, that's kind of how we are recruiting too. Um, So that's what I really enjoy about Gainesville.
1: What are some other things that people may not know about you? What's maybe a surprise about Darius Nichols?
3: I would say I love to read. I love to read, um, listen to all different types of music. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if a song comes on on the radio, People's always like, how you know this song? It's like, you know, that gets me going every morning. I wake up, I'm listening to music. Anything I do, I use. I'm usually listening to music, so mm-hmm. music gets me going. And I love to read. Those are those are two things that, that I really love to do. Favorites in both of those categories. I really like in reading. I really like self-help books, and I I love history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can learn a lot um about life through history. So I really like you know history books, and then. As far as music, it probably depends on the mood I'm in, like different genres. I, I listen to pretty much everything. If I'm driving, who knows what I'm listening to, or if it's game day I might put, you know, some future in. Some of the mm-hmm. players like, How oh, you know this song? Like I know every song. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's say um, it's how you
1: stay young and connected yeah, to it. So I,
3: I, I kinda I kinda listen to music based on what I'm doing. Final thing for
1: you. I know it's not your scout, and you're, you're kind of in kickback yep. and, and chill mode now, but you guys do have Kentucky this weekend, a yep. game a lot of people are focused on. So what is that going to look like in Rupp Arena? You beat him by 22 points here yep. in Gainesville, the SEC title potentially on the line. What's the preparation like for Kentucky?
3: Kind of the same thing we've been doing all year, defend. Uh, you know, that's what's, that's what's won us a lot of games, even when we didn't shoot the ball well. Mm-hmm. You know, when we shoot the ball well and we defend at a high level, we're, we're pretty good. So, as far as the game plan, um, you know, I think a lot of people make a big deal about Rupp Arena. But, you know, none of those fans can come down and block a shot. If they did, then, you know, they'd get a technical. So, I think <laughs> – They'd probably I think, be out on the street. We, yeah, too, the I, think, I think we make a big deal out of it. And people the, – the biggest reason why, you know, Kentucky is so good at home is because they have always have good players. Mm-hmm. I and mean, people, you know, pump up the atmosphere more than what it is, which, you know, we have a really good atmosphere. So, um, you know, we're just going to handle it the same way we've handled all these other games and not make it, make it any bigger than what it is.
1: Well, good luck, Kentucky, and you're officially off the hot seat. Thank you for your time. All right, appreciate it. Hey, hey. And that's going to do it for today's show. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the official podcast of the Gators on the podcast app of your choice, and please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow. We also ask that you follow us on Twitter at Gators Podcast, like our new Facebook page, and email gatorspodcast at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions you have for the show. We'll be back next week with an all new episode. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena.